Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Well, if you heard me last week, you probably heard me say a few times that I had a little bit of anxiety about, speaking as a Georgia fan here, about going into Lexington, Kentucky. Boy, easy. That's not so easy to say. Lexington, Kentucky, going up to Lexington on Saturday, kind of felt like one of those games that might be a little bit of a tricky spot for Georgia. Maybe it was lingering memories of 2020, kind of feeling the same way when Georgia did that. But I told you all last week, I did not have the world's greatest feeling about that game against Kentucky. Not that I ever thought Georgia was going to lose the game. And frankly, during the game on Saturday, never really thought Georgia was going to lose it. But there was just something about that. It's like, ooh, this game doesn't probably feel like it's going to be one for the memory books here. This does not really feel like it's going to be one of those games we look back on and it ends up being really anybody's favorite Georgia game of all time. And then in the midst of the game, I'd say there are moments where like, yeah, it's kind of feeling like I thought it would. And then beyond that, you sort of got to the point where actually maybe this is even a little bit worse than I hoped it would be because, you know, you have the situation where Georgia's up 16-0. Uh, they don't get the fourth down conversion. You better believe we'll get there on the show before we're done today. You don't get the fourth down conversion. Then Kentucky marches down the field 99 yards on you and scores. And all of a sudden now it's like, oh, you know, you sort of expected a game with no style points. You sort of expected a game where weather was an issue. But all of a sudden now you're in that position where actually you're having to kind of fight and and to sort of preserve the win here for a moment. Now, to Georgia's credit, uh, that's exactly what it does. Uh, but the game probably none of us maybe had great vibes about. You know, kind of a tricky spot after a long, tough stretch for UGA. You know, ends up being sort of everything we thought it would be and more. And yet, Georgia also gets the win. Uh, they are undefeated in the SEC here again for a second consecutive season. And Georgia looks, by comparison, remarkably consistent compared to, obviously, Tennessee. We're, we're going to have plenty of fun today at the expense of the Tennessee Vols. I can certainly promise you that. They fall flat on their face at South Carolina. Teams like Ohio State and Michigan were not perfect in their own right there on Saturday. You can kind of go through all the you know annals of the so-called playoff contenders, and you see that what Georgia has now been doing for 11 regular season games, including a wild stretch of four straight, against rival Florida, uh, super high-ranked Tennessee when the game was played, back-to-back road games in SEC play. And we told you last week how rare it is, more rare than you would imagine, to win on consecutive Saturdays in away stadiums as the visitor in SEC play, that that Georgia, by comparison here, actually looks looks pretty good, right? I mean, it looks better than pretty good. It looks like, once again, the best team in the country, even if not every single moment of the season has been a thing of beauty. Certainly adding it all together – it ends up being a really beautiful story for Georgia this season of, you know, going through a lot of adversity. In some cases, these are even, you know, self-inflicted, unforced errors, but nonetheless, still kind of standing tall here. And in light of that, I think we sort of learned two things about Georgia. And as you sort of think about the the uh, ultimate mission of go for two and 22 and winning another national championship, as you sort of think about all of that, I think that Saturday, both because of what happened to Georgia and what happened around Georgia, became another pretty important data point for what's going to matter here down the stretch. And something to me is incredibly clear now 
that I don't know that I fully could have articulated this prior to Saturday, but it seems obvious now. Let me let you hear some of Kirby Smart, and it's going to build me to the point that I want to make here. You know, first of all, just sort of starting in on, you know, kind of what George has been through, what it's accomplished, what the game meant. Let me let you hear a little bit of Kirby talking about that from Saturday, this from the post-game press conference. I don't want to say lethargic, man, but it was very ho-hum. Um, I feel like, you know, everybody across the league, including us, is at a, a point. You know, we just had four games in a row three on the road that were really tough and really physical. And we knew this gauntlet was coming. Um, and our guys put their head down and worked really hard. Regardless of who we faced, um, we stood up to the test that we've been asked to, and I'm proud of what they've done. But we're not where we need to be, put it that way. We, we, we've got to improve on both sides of the ball. So Kirby uses the word gauntlet there, and I think that's absolutely right. And, and this is the thing that's more clear to me now than it was prior to Saturday that the number one contender for Georgia, the number one competitor for Georgia, is not any one single opponent. In other words, if you said, B.A., you've been talking all year long about go for two and 22, Georgia winning a second straight national championship. If that doesn't happen, who's the team that ruins that? Who's the team that messes all that up? And I think after Saturday, what I've come to believe is, is that there is no one team that's going to be the most obvious likely foil here. Now, the best team I think that Georgia could play is Ohio State. Most of you'd probably agree with that there as well. But even Ohio State, I don't think quite rise to that level. I certainly never thought Tennessee was that team necessarily. And on Saturday against South Carolina, they proved why that was true. But as Kirby Smart says, it's not any one team that you're worried about. This is not one of those years in which, like last year, you're trying to get over the hump and prove that you can beat Alabama. Georgia proved that a year ago. There is no, like, final boss of the video game. There's no Bowser's Castle here that Georgia has to go through to win a national championship. That's not what this year is. What this year is is what Kirby Smart said. It's like just going through the gauntlet. And I think what Smart, in a roundabout way, was saying there and has said in some of the other kind of clips from from that press conference is is that when you play Kentucky in the fourth consecutive game of four straight weeks of rival Florida highly ranked and you know if, if, certainly very good Tennessee if not playoff worthy Tennessee but certainly very good Tennessee and then back-to-back -back road games in SEC play as you kind of go through that when you're facing the fourth of those in Kentucky on Saturday, there is a little bit of residue left over from the previous games that you're actually not just competing against the Wildcats, you're also competing against your own fatigue after all that you've been through over the course of these last few weeks, and I think that's right. And even though Georgia was a really big favorite in the game against Kentucky, the truth is, is Georgia's going to be potentially a pretty sizable favorite in the SEC championship coming up in a couple of weeks, certainly the Tech game on Saturday, but then beyond that, the SEC championship game coming up in a couple of weeks, all of the potential college football playoff games you could play there as well, and yet winning a national championship is really hard because you're asked to kind of run through a gauntlet over the course of the time, over the course of the full season. We say it all the time, hey, would you take so-and-so team or would you take the field? Right now, Georgia's in a situation where it's having to compete against the full field here and trying to maintain a level of consistency from a week-to-week -week basis. And you see across the board here in college football, Tennessee, the biggest example against South Carolina, but also Michigan struggling with Illinois. You know, Ohio State more competitive for a while against Maryland than some would have thought. You know, uh, on and on you can go here. You know, UNC losing to Georgia Tech, who, by the way, comes to Athens on Saturday. 
you see examples here which just maintaining that week-to-week consistency is not an easy thing to do. And it won't be easy for Georgia the rest of the way either. There is no one team obviously most likely to beat Georgia, but winning all the games that Georgia still has remaining, which hopefully counts to 15 before it's all said and done, winning all of those games is really hard. And going through the four-game slate of Florida, Tennessee, Mississippi State, uh, uh, you know, Kentucky, that is also probably harder than Georgia made it look. And that's kind of been the story now for Georgia for a couple of years. They're just sort of marching through, doing their thing. And when it's all said and done, you're like, gosh, nobody's done this in a long time. Nobody's, you know, you haven't had very many teams winning back-to-back road games in the SEC. You haven't had very many teams in the history of this league winning, uh, you know, full slates of conference play back-to-back, undefeated, two years in a row. You know, as you're going through it, it just sort of seems like Georgia doing what it does. But when it's all said and done, you're sort of left to, left to conclude that actually Georgia just sort of doing what it's what it does is actually kind of accomplishing a good bit of history throughout all of that. In fact, let me let you hear more from Kirby Smart on this about, you know, kind of what George has been through, kind of where it's standing here right now after once again posting an undefeated regular season mark in SEC play. Here's Kirby again. Hard to do. Last 40 years, there's only been two. And uh, it's, 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 it's hard to win on the road in the SEC. You look across the country today, you see the environments people were playing in. You see it's different. You find out real quick who really wants to play football and who's just a football fan. And uh, you have to be able to win in games like that, especially in November. Don't you love that clip from Kirby? He, he's saying there, hey, do you like football? Or do you like the idea of football? Do you like to put on the uniform and you know pose for the gram? Or do you like to get out there and fight and scratch and claw and do what needs to be done in a game like this? Are you willing to do the hard work when winning pretty is apparently not an option? Cold weather day against a physical team and you know all that kind of stuff. You know, on Saturday you were kind of led to believe that hey, winning pretty today, creating a lot of style points, that might not be possible. So are you willing to kind of win the street fight version of football, which is what uh, George was facing there against Kentucky? And once again, it sort of accentuates the point that I was making a, a moment ago. There is no obvious threat to Georgia right now. There is no. Boy, when you get to this team, you're going to have to really prove something. Now, Ohio State's very, very good, and I believe they are the second-best team in the country right now. I'm not certainly downplaying you know, their ability here. I think that'd be a fair fight if Georgia plays Ohio State, but it's not like you look at Ohio State and you're like, there's no way Georgia can beat Ohio State. The way that in maybe previous years, some might would have said, I'm not going to believe that Georgia can get over the hump of, like, say, Alabama until they actually do it. There isn't one of those kinds of teams right now. But even without the obvious threat, the challenge of winning a national championship is – it's still hard because just being a consistent week-to-week winner itself is not easy. No one could have predicted that, you know, hey, you know, Kentucky would beat Georgia, but, but at the same time, you're not all that surprised that Kentucky competed with Georgia because that fact is in college football on a week-to-week basis, weird stuff happens. South Carolina just annihilated Tennessee. That's another one of those weird results that just being consistently good week-to-week is not as hard or should say is a lot harder than sometimes it seems like it should be because – uh, of all the teams that fail in their attempt to be able to do that. So that's one of the things that we've learned here this week from Georgia, which is that the real threat to Georgia's national championship pursuit, the real obstacle that stands in its way is not any one specific team. It's the overall grind that adds up over the course of a 15-game uh, year, a 15-game season, 
where you were just asked to be consistently good over the course of the entire time, and we're kind of getting to that stretch of the season where any one slip-up could kind of call the whole thing into question and end up either eliminating you from championship contention or making winning a championship far more difficult because of the circumstance you put yourself in, and that's just kind of where George is right now. But here's the other thing that I believe we learned on Saturday, which is the reason why Georgia is able to maintain the consistency that it has. The reason why it's able to go on the road in cold Kentucky and get out of there without ever really feeling like they were going to lose, and the reason why they were able to do that at Mississippi State and obviously handling business against Tennessee before that and all the other SEC games prior to that is, is the fact that defense travels. And I don't even know that Saturday was necessarily a great day for the Georgia defense. I, I don't know that it was. But have you ever been happier as a Georgia fan to have a great defense than you are right now. Once again, using the comparison of the Tennessee-South Carolina game. Tennessee, 63 points they gave up to South Carolina. You can say what you want to about anything else. 63 points they gave up to South Carolina. I said this on Twitter. you got to go back to the beginning of October to find Georgia giving up 68 points in total. That's how wildly different these teams are right now. And so on a week-to-week basis, hey, can you score enough points to win? Maybe you can, maybe you can't. But if you know your defense is going to go out there and hold its opponent to a low total each and every Saturday, well, the job of winning just got way easier. And the Kentucky offense is not no great shakes necessarily. But knowing that on this particular Saturday when your own points were hard to come by, knowing that you were able to, to keep them to six in their own stadium uh, in a game they kind of had circled from the beginning of the year, all of a sudden you made the task of winning in that game much easier. And this consistent week-to-week performance from the defense now over the course of the last couple of years, this sort of helps explain what makes Georgia so different than all the other teams that it's playing. It's just able to go out there and give its own shot at victory, a big shot in the arm by what it's able to do on that side of the ball. And as Kirby kind of talked about, uh, you know, in, in the game against the Wildcats this past Saturday, it wasn't always perfect. There were some moments on Saturday where Georgia maybe wasn't customarily what it had been defensively but when it had to be at its best it found a way to kind of be there Kirby on the defense once again from Saturday well, it was again it was bend but don't break you know we didn't we didn't stop them you know they ended up getting down the red area we the wins on fourth down were the difference in the game you know and uh, our ability to stop them on fourth down was big but our inability on some of the third downs to get off the field uh, hurt us some so let me see if I can kind of sum all of this up as Kirby Smart says there, hey, when they had to get off the field, you got the Keeley Ringo interception. You stopped them on fourth down. When you really had to on Saturday, you were able to do that. And we're kind of in this moment right now where the season just feels really long. I mean, doesn't obviously it's fun entertainment for us. It's hard work for the coaches and players. But doesn't it just sort of feel like a grind right now? I mean, doesn't it just sort of feel like that Georgia's been kind of fighting its way to the end of the season now for quite some time, and you're not quite yet to that sort of postseason run, the go for two in 22 season. It's not SEC Championship Saturday. It's not college football playoff. You're still doing the hard work that's got to be done to get ready for all of that. We're kind of in that moment in which the grind just feels as heavy as it's going to feel at any point in time in the year, I believe. And yet Georgia's keeping on grinding through all of that. And these are the moments in which you're glad to have the kind of team, if you're a UGA fan, that embraces the physicality and brings its defense on the road with it to games like this or any other place you know, that it's going to play here the rest of the way. That ability to show up and play consistently week to week on that side of the ball. It is not as easy as Georgia has made it look. And frankly, on Saturday, it didn't often look easy at all. 
but the job got done. Georgia remains undefeated. The mission of go for two and 22 is still fully in place here. And that is the kind of thing that Georgia fans ought to be pretty happy about. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. And we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, we're on the radio at noon on Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. And we are available as a podcast wherever you find them Apple, Spotify, WorldFamousDogNation.com, all kinds of ways for you to be a part of the program. We just really, really appreciate you doing that. And we really appreciate our friends at Pella Window Indoor Georgia for making it all possible. They are a great sponsor. We're actually going to see a pretty fun shout out to Pella Window Indoor of Georgia before the show is done today. So I'm actually kind of excited about that. We'll get that to you here coming up in just a uh, little bit. But uh, also, I just am so thankful for the great stuff that Pella Window Indoor of Georgia does for us each and every day here. When it comes to energy efficient windows and doors, you know, keeping the stuff on the outside of your house where it's supposed to be, that cold weather you've been dealing with, rainy weather from time to time, then you want that creeping into your house, and that's what Pella Window and Door of Georgia is all about for you. They can prevent that. You can find them online, Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. That's Pella of GA.com slash dog nation. You also give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Sit down, talk to one of those Pella experts, and they can walk you through all the installation options you have, all of the product line they have. You can also actually stop by and see them at that um, experience center right there in Duluth. And Put your hands on the product and feel what makes it better. You know, in survey after survey, homeowners right here in our area have recognized Pella Window and Door of Georgia's real brand leader for uh, exterior doors and windows, and they can show you uh, that themselves when you stop by and visit them in Duluth or when you reach out. PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. That's PellaofGA.com slash DogNation. Or give them a call, 678-638-1496. That's 678-638-1496. Just make sure you tell them that BA from Dog Nation said they'd take good care of you because I know that they will. All right, we're going to do a lot here. It's John Stinchcomb coming up in a moment, and that's going to be fun to kind of get into some of the stuff from Saturday with John. Uh, so we'll do that. We're going to hear in a moment as well from Kirby Smart on what ended up being one of the more interesting decisions from the game on Saturday. Choosing to go for it to begin the fourth quarter down near the goal line. Does it work? Kentucky comes back and scores. The game gets closer at that point than it had been all day long. Was that a mistake by Kirby Smart? We'll debate that here in a moment, let you hear what Kirby Smart had to say about all of that. But I also want to give you a couple of quick uh, looks ahead at great stuff that's going to be going on in the next few days here as it relates to Dog Nation. Let me start from the back, work my way forward. So two Saturdays from now, go for two in 22 season, kicks into high gear with the SEC championship. And while George is not going to be looking past Georgia Tech for Saturday, we have a chance to look past uh, that for right now to tell you about our big go for two in 22 tailgate that's going to be taking place on that particular day. What an incredible thing that's going to be. Uh, live from the Home Depot backyard, getting ready for a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, tailgate day that day. It starts three hours prior to the game uh, for Georgia and LSU that day. And here's the thing you know. Uh, we have a handful of tickets left on this, and if you want to get in and secure your chance at a second-generation Go for 2 and 22 t-shirt, you've seen me wearing the original design of the Go for 2 and 22 t-shirt. You've seen that. But if you want a second-generation Go for 2 and 22 t-shirt, we only have room for the first 200 people to sign up to get those. And so we're down to like the final handful of tickets left on the chance to get 
a new second generation Gopher 2 and 22 t-shirt. Now, when you also sign up for it, you get uh, open bar and the food and the entertainment and all that kind of stuff right there at the Home Depot backyard, which could not be closer to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. There's no opportunity to tailgate anywhere that's any closer than all of that. Could not be closer. So you get a chance to be a part of that. But if you want your uh, opportunity to get one of those Gopher 2 and 22 t-shirts, you got to make sure you check that out right now. So go to dognation.com. You can click the link there. Go ahead and get your uh, your tickets there for that. Final tickets here to be able to secure a Gopher 2 and 22 t-shirt. Final tickets there on that. So dognation.com for more on that. Then prior to that, next Wednesday, we've got a big event taking place at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven. Now, a lot of you have been saying, hey, when are you guys going to be back at Marlowe's again? Well, that's coming up for us here very, very soon. Not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday. Prior to the kind of the week leading to the SEC Championship, we're going to be live at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven at 6 p.m. Uh, that's, of course, 3575 Durden Drive. That's Wednesday, November 30th for a huge show with our friends at Marlowe's at 6 p.m. So we'll be previewing the SEC Championship. We'll be talking about Georgia's path to the playoff. We're going to have uh, an incredible time there. Go for two in 22 season with a live event there at the Marlowe's in Brookhaven coming up next Wednesday, November 30th at 6 p.m. We can't wait to see you there for all of that. We'll tell you more about this in the days to come. Obviously, we announced the Marlowe's event this past Friday, but we want to make sure you're fully aware of all of that. So is that all clear? So we got some big stuff going on. You can go to dognation.com to find out more details about all of it. Now, let's get ready to go around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at AAA and this is one of those situations here where there was a big moment in this game. It was, you know, fourth down at the goal line to begin the fourth quarter. Georgia was up 16 to nothing, and Georgia goes for it, runs the ball, doesn't get it. Kentucky now has possession of the football. They march down 99 yards and score. Ultimately, it's not consequential in the outcome of the game, but it did create probably the only moment from the game that generated any real debate whatsoever. And here is the thought process that I'm hearing from some people, that by being up 16, because that's two touchdowns and two two-point conversions, some are calling that what, they, what they're saying as a two-possession game, and that by kicking a field goal, you have a chance to, to go up 19 nothing, which in the minds of some is a three-possession game, and that is what Kirby Smart should have done. That's the kind of general feeling that's out there. Smart was asked on Saturday after the game, kind of from that context of why go for it as opposed to uh, kicking the field goal. This is what Smart said after the game on Saturday about that particular topic. Take a listen to this. I wanted to show confidence in our players. And if I had a chance to go out there and do it again today, I'm going to go over there and say we're going to do it again because that's what I believe in. That decision was made 15 years ago on philosophy. So it, what's funny about this is, is that in a similar situation – in the Tennessee game back in 2020, Kirby Smart said almost the exact same thing, that uh, that decision was made for me years ago about going for it on fourth down. In that particular case, it was going for it on fourth down in his own territory. In this case, you're talking about going for it on the goal line situation. Now, I'm going to kind of break this up into two parts, and one of these parts I'm going to talk about later in the show. Uh, later in the show, I'm going to kind of get into, if you are going to, going to go for it on fourth down, the decision to kind of run the ball the way you did there, that to me, needs to be a separate conversation. It's probably the most important part of all of this, but I'm going to push that for later in the show. For now, just focusing in on the idea of going for it on fourth down. And I actually think that Kirby Smart makes a good bit of sense there. And, and you can go to like the Dog Nation YouTube page and watch the full press conference, and you can kind of get the uh, full context here, the back and forth that Kirby had with, with reporters on this. First of all, I kind of dispute the idea that 16 points is a two-possession game. I just think mathematically, if you look at the typical conversion rates for two-point conversions across college football, 
the odds of making two straight two-point conversions, that's really only about 25%. So I sort of dispute that 16-0 is a two-possession game when it really takes four scoring plays for anybody to create uh, you know, 16 points there. So I sort of dispute that. And if you go up 19-0, if you kick the field goal there, instead of going forward and fourth down, you're still in a situation where three touchdowns beat you. And that's true. If it's 16 nothing, it's 19 nothing. I would argue that down near your own goal line, that, that only going up 19 nothing doesn't actually change the way in which Kentucky calls the game any different than, than 16 nothing would. So I sort of dispute the idea that 16 points is somehow a two-possession game and 19 points is somehow a three-possession game because in that situation, you're still talking about being beaten by three touchdowns where if you actually score the touchdown – now you've sort of put yourself in a situation where it takes more than three touchdowns to beat you. So from that standpoint, I think that Kirby Smart's right. But here's the other thing that I just think is generally right across the board, is that if you care about like how the math of this is kind of determined or anything like that, and sometimes you know I, I do, sometimes I don't, I guess. I Sometimes it's sort of beyond my ability to comprehend. But if you care about any of that kind of stuff, the thing that you understand here is, is that in any situation where a coach has a decision to make, Making the decision to be aggressive is generally speaking the better overall choice, especially when you have the perceived better team. That when you have when you're perceived to have the better team, when you're perceived to be the favorite, the more you can do to push the issue during a game probably makes the most sense there. So I actually don't have a real big problem with Kirby Smart going for it on fourth down. Now I also have to admit I wouldn't been I would not have been surprised had he kicked the field goal there because you know clearly there's some value in on a day in which points were hard to come by for both teams. You know, there's some value in getting some points going up 19 there. I wouldn't have been surprised that Kirby Smart did it. But I actually believe if you want to play the odds, if you want to play the percentages, that choosing to go for it on fourth down there was probably the right choice to make. And generally speaking, I like the aggressive version of Kirby Smart more so than the other. I mean, Kirby actually said that after the Oregon game to begin this year is that we want to call the game aggressively. We want aggressive. We want to play aggressively. We want to be an aggressive team. And I think aggressive is a pretty good target to shoot for. That that you make, you know, winnable games into losable games. Sometimes I think by being less aggressive when you could. That when you're pensive with your decision making, when you're when you're timid with your decision making, all of a sudden you create an opportunity for the underdog that might not necessarily need to be there. So across the board, I prefer an aggressive Kirby going for it on fourth down, going for it, uh, you know, trading a field goal opportunity for a touchdown. I'll take that version of Kirby Smart, you know, across the board more so than the other, and I think you'll be better off for it, especially given the fact that George's on a mission here to go for two and twenty-two. The path towards that championship accomplishment, I believe, is 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 sort of better traveled by being aggressive than the opposite. So I actually don't have a huge problem with Kirby Smart going for it there when he did. Now the decision when you did go for it to to run the football and and to to make an aggressive decision but use a conservative play call. <laughs> In light of that aggressive decision, that's a little bit different topic, and we're going to get to that more before the show's done here today. But kind of a little bit of a, uh, a thought starter on that to begin with. And if you've got your own thoughts on that, I'm sure we'll give a chance for you to weigh in either to me on Twitter at Dog Nation Daily or in our comment section for R.S. Andrews Cooldown when the show is done. But for now, though, let me remind you that's around the doghouse. It's presented today by our friends at AAA. And of course, AAA is a name that we know when it comes to a roadside. You know, listen, I'm traveling around this weekend a lot, uh, being you know there for the uh, Buford-Walton game on Friday in Kentucky there on Saturday, and then obviously back here in Georgia again for the uh, show on Monday. So I'm always thankful that AAA and that membership card goes in my pocket with me everywhere that I go. But it's not just uh, 
roadside assistance I want you to think about when you think about our friends at AAA. I want you to think about them across the board when it comes to your insurance needs, uh, including uh, you know your home insurance there as well. Because when you get your home insurance through AAA, there are all kinds of options that you can benefit from, all kinds of savings opportunities that come your way when you get your insurance through AAA, including claim-free rewards. This is a really cool thing, that when you have claim-free rewards with AAA, you actually can get cash back every policy year that you remain claim-free. Just one of the ways in which AAA wants to show you some support for your support of them and being a part of a relationship with them through your home insurance. And uh, they're willing to kind of give you that claim-free reward and give you a little bit extra boost for being claim-free with your home there. There's all kinds of other discounts there as well that you can be a part of there too. So find out more about this by checking out our friends at uh, AAA. You can go to AAA.com slash home insurance. That's AAA.com slash home insurance. You can also give them a call 833-718-2075. That's 833-718-2075. And you can find a branch near you. So before we're done today, as I said before, we're going to kind of get back into that fourth down decision from Kirby Smart. I don't have a problem with them going for it on fourth down. If you are going to go for it on fourth down, I think there's a little bit different play you could have called. And later, I'm going to share the numbers with you as exactly, you know, maybe why that is, which I think lays it out in kind of pretty clear, uh, crystal clear fa- uh, fashion. So we'll talk more about that before the show is done. But Georgia does go undefeated in SEC play, moves on to get ready for Georgia Tech on Saturday. And the mission of go for two and 22 still fully intact there as well. So let's talk about all that for now with our good friend, John Stinchcomb, the great former Georgia All-American here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. We will say hello to John Stinchcomb. John knows what it's like to go on the road and have a tough, hard-fought win in SEC play, and that is exactly what Georgia did on Saturday. So, John, if you don't mind, let's kind of start right there. I said this before you joined us, that there's an element of what Georgia has been doing this year, last few weeks in particular, certainly the last couple of years of now being undefeated in SEC play two years in a row, this is not as easy as Georgia has made it look. And the real threat to Georgia trying to win another national championship is not any team. That was true even before Tennessee lost on Saturday. There isn't some behemoth team out there that's going to prevent that from happening. But it's all of this adding up together. The grind, the gauntlet, as Kirby Smart said it. That's the real challenge. That's the real contender here. And can you go through another year of this without succumbing to the weight of the fact that being a consistent high-level performer week-to-week in college football is just not an easy thing to do? Would you agree with that? I absolutely would. I think it's become one of the toughest feats uh, to accomplish, and it's because the expectations are so high. Every week you have to uh, play your best football. You have to be able to win Right now, it seems like you have to either go undefeated or, or one loss or you, all your hopes and dreams are gone. Different from the NFL and different from college football only a few years ago because of the number of games that you play. Instead of you know what used to be a 10 or 11 game season, it's 12 plus the conference championship and one slip up against a, a good team and your hopes and dreams are all but crushed. So... For Georgia to be able to go back-to-back undefeated in the SEC, I think speaks to the the level of performance, even when it is a 16-6 victory against a, a good, capable Kentucky team that you know also has its flaws. I, it's more about what Georgia has done, and, and Georgia performed um, on Saturday in a way that I think is almost to be expected after that four-week run where it's nothing but big games and you come into an 
yet another SEC matchup where you know conditions are not ideal. It's cold. It's windy. Um, the, the opponent isn't at the same caliber. You don't have that same energy in the stadium that you would against like a Tennessee a couple weeks prior. So that's a difficult game mentally as much as physically. And uh, Georgia once again comes away with a, a two-score victory. So I think it just speaks to the, the level of consistency that's been created in the program. Yeah, and the, the other thing too is when you think about, okay, so we saw South Carolina play Florida last Saturday. Florida looked great. South Carolina looked terrible. And then on the heels of that, Florida goes out and loses to Vanderbilt, and South Carolina goes out and hung 63 points on Tennessee. Oh. And the context I'm trying to provide here is is that so by everything we've seen thus far this year, Georgia-Kentucky is supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be an easy game because Kentucky had just lost to Vanderbilt. And yet Kirby Smart, I think, had tried to set the stage for this is that you can't necessarily use last week's result as some sort of predictive model for how this game is going to go. If that were the case, we'd all be rich because we could make a million dollars betting on these games if all you had to do is look look at what happened the previous week to decide what was going to happen this week. And maybe when some Georgia fans hear Kirby Smart saying something like that, it sounds like coach speak. But when you see the other results that I just mentioned of sort of wildly different performances week to week, you know, I think it just sort of speaks to that, hey, I don't care what the odds makers say, and I don't care what Kentucky has been doing, there is an element of that game that, that you know, Kirby sort of knew was going to be a challenge, turned out to be that way, and that's beyond just coach speak because you see other teams kind of falling prey to this all across the board here. There is something to this that, hey, you just don't know from Saturday to Saturday which team's going to show up. Maybe it's the team that lost to, to Vanderbilt, or maybe it's a team that, you know, went on the road and beat Florida earlier this year, or, or, or you know, you know whatever else. It's like, you really just sort of, you don't, you don't really know from week to week the kind of team you're going to be playing against, and I think that Kirby had some sort of anticipation that would likely be the case. Isn't this one of the reasons why we love college football? I mean, probably one of the reasons why you love and hate college football, yeah. but it's one of the reasons why you love it. You have to play the game. You cannot just base it on the records coming in. And this isn't a video game. It's not where, you know, you look and there's static numbers on a sheet of these players versus the other players in a vacuum. It is, it's an emotional game. It's a, a game planning week in and week, week out. There's a number of conditions that change between the games and, and how they unfold. If there was early turnovers or if there's a momentum swing, that's what makes the game awesome. So I think anticipating based on just what you see on paper and, and how teams stack up um, in a vacuum is so unrealistic. And one of the reasons why it's such a fun uh, game and event that we look forward to on a weekly basis is because you have to play them. You can't just match them up and make the predictions. And uh, if so, all those talking heads before the game uh, – they would probably be right a heck of a lot more times than they end up being, right? You look at the predictions before a game and the consistency at which you can call the upsets and the victor, it's not consistent. And I think that's one of the best things about it is you have to play it, and it gives the underdog or the underappreciated team an opportunity to say, hey, you know, there are some anomalies out there in our record, and – we, we get to start anew every Saturday we take the field. Before we move off this Kentucky game, let me also ask about the other kind of hot topic here, which is Kirby choosing to go for it on fourth down from the goal line to begin the fourth quarter. You don't get that. Kentucky marches down and scores, but 
to me, you sort of break this into two parts. And you've got the decision to go for it on fourth down, which I like. The decision to kind of, you know, try a, a short yardage running play there, which I probably don't like, to be completely honest with you. John, as an offensive lineman yourself, what do you make of the decision to be aggressive there, shooting for the touchdown, but to also maybe choose a conservative play call of sorts in the midst of trying to be aggressive? What, what did you make of that sequence? Yeah, so let's break it into two parts. Uh, first, I love the fact that we're, we're going for it. I think you have to be aggressive. I think that's the mentality of the team. It puts faith in the offense. It also puts faith in your defense, saying, hey, if we don't get this, it's a 99-yard field, yeah. and we've got one of the best defenses in the game. So I, I, I have complete confidence that we can shut it down. Now, how it played out, it, it leaves room to second-guess. You didn't get the – touchdown you didn't convert the defense allows the longest drive of the season against them both unexpected um as for the plays that you call there's so much work you know i i'd love to sit here and, and, and agree with you of you know uh, uh, the conservative call but when you game plan in the week you know what you can expect in those situations from the defense you know their alignment you know their preferred uh packages and what they're how they're going to attack you so when you go into that game there's always plays that you like in the goal line you like in short yardage situation and they just didn't execute <laughs> we got we got stuffed and it, it leaves room for golly they should have spread the ball out and you know there's so many different routes that you can run on the edge these days where you know, we're not going to call them pick routes but that's exactly what they are and you know, put put the ball in a Brock Bowers or Darnell Washington's hands, and who's going to stop them for half a yard, right? Yeah. I get all those things, but you go in with a game plan, you feel confident, and with our offensive line, the way they performed this year, I think it puts a lot of faith in them. They just didn't answer the bell. And, um, you know, that's one play out of a, a number. Uh, really, there was a couple of plays in that short yardage uh, need to convert situation where where we didn't come through, and you're grateful at the end of the day it's against Kentucky and it's not against LSU and the SEC championship or the college football playoff series. But I, I am 100% in agreement that that's you know going for it in those situations is putting faith in your entire team, not just the offense but the defense. That if we don't convert, you're going to make it happen for us and make us right. So. I think it just speaks to the confidence that they had, and it just wasn't a well-executed situation for them. I think that's a really good point, and your point of view is a little bit different than mine, but I think you're absolutely right, and this is obviously the perspective as a former player, is you could have reasons for wanting to do what you did that go beyond just trying to score a touchdown in that given moment, and I do understand that nature of coaching, that this is about a big-picture decision for Kirby Smart in a lot of ways, and this is about more than just sort of the granular nature of, hey, let's get this touchdown against Kentucky. No, maybe this is, hey, let me show the kind of faith in my guys necessary to get them ready for we want to go for the next several weeks. So I totally buy into that as an idea, even if I didn't love the strategic element of that play in that moment. I, I certainly can't acknowledge that. I think you're bringing up a really good point. To turn the page here for a moment, John, it's Georgia Tech on Saturday. And in light of everything that you know, kind of Georgia's been through and done – the Tech game always kind of comes sort of a weird spot on the calendar because you know, you've just been through a gauntlet in the SEC, you get SEC championship here coming up. Uh, Georgia Tech's obviously, you know, once again, not a very good team, but they are playing way better now than 
they have, certainly in previous years, and certainly the, the way better than they were at the beginning of this year. They beat North Carolina on Saturday. They won some games mm. with Brent Key as interim coach, playing a little bit better brand of football here. So to set the stage for you know getting it done one more time here in the regular season, playing Tech in Athens for the first time since 2018 because of the pandemic year in 2020, to set the stage for all of this, you know, John, what does the Georgia-Georgia Tech rivalry mean to you in particular? Well, I've always appreciated it and loved it. And, you know, the, the separation between the two teams has grown wider and wider. I think we can all recognize that. But it's part of Thanksgiving for almost every family across the state. Is This is a part of it. And it's become tradition. Now, I think it sets up really well for Georgia and not so great for Georgia Tech because, you know, we're coming off a, a road win against Kentucky where, you know, we, we threw the ball less than 20 times and uh, we played a physical style of football. But, you know, there's some criticism of we should have beaten a, a Kentucky team that was coming off a, an ugly week prior. And, um, you know, it, it's just as much of a mental approach than anything else as you go into these weeks. And, for Georgia, there's there's some motivating factors that uh, might have been minimized when you're going against the Georgia Tech team that's reeling with an interim coach. But now you're saying, hey, this is a capable team. They just beat a, a ranked North Carolina and are playing their best ball of the season, which a focused, motivated Georgia is a foe that not many teams want to face, and Georgia Tech is certainly on that list. So, um, you know, I, I expect a... Uh, an early performance from our dogs that seals uh, what would become an easy win is kind of how I see this game playing out. But as the series goes, I, I think this is part of the fabric of, of Georgia football. At the end of the year, we get to play Georgia Tech, and you know, does, are there is there implications and significance? Uh, has that changed over the decades? You better believe it. Uh, you know, there the years of. Georgia Tech and, and Georgia being comparable um, in a skill level as where they are as a program, those are those are gone. And you know, I, I'm not bashing on Georgia Tech. I'm I'm more of a realist at this point. I think those that uh, would be Georgia Tech fans would come to that same realization, even if they wouldn't want to admit it. But um, it just speaks to the direction of college football. But I still think there's a place for this rivalry game and. Uh, you know, if it ever comes to a point where um, it doesn't make sense anymore, I will understand it just because it's almost like there's there's a couple different leagues of college football that are being played right now, and, and Georgia is one, and Georgia Tech is in a different league, and uh, that's just being realistic. And so if, if and when we come to that point, it would be a sad turning of the page, but for right now, I, I still thoroughly enjoy that matchup and, and feel like it's part of an expected uh, portion of, of this holiday season. I want to ask you one more thing before we let you go, John. Before that, I want to remind folks, speaking of the holiday season, one of the things we're going to have coming up to begin the month of December is the SEC Championship. And I want to give a quick shout-out here and make sure you're aware of something. That If you're coming into town for the SEC Championship, that when you're trying to find that hotel, and sometimes – it's hard to get hotels in downtown Atlanta, and sometimes the hotels in downtown Atlanta are crazy expensive. And you're at, and yet you're thinking, well, I got to have some sort of like way to get to the stadium on Saturday, but maybe downtown doesn't make the most sense for you. I want you to consider that this area where you actually do our show from each and every day. We're right here in Dunwoody, and the Dunwoody area 
is a great place to consider staying when you're going to the SEC championship. Or, by the way, maybe if there's a <laughs> college football playoff game being played here for the Peach Bowl, also maybe kind of keep that in mind there too. But certainly for the SEC championship coming up in a couple of Saturdays here, the the Dunwoody area is a great place for you on that because there's a whole bunch of hotel rooms. Uh, you got basically like 21 different hotel rooms, like kind of right here in our area. Nine different hotels in total here. Plus, the way we're kind of situated, you kind of have like the Dunwoody Mars Station, the Sandy Springs Mars Station. So, depending where you are, you can kind of, in a lot of ways, just sort of walk to that uh, Marta Station, which will take you right to Mercedes Benz Stadium. It's incredibly convenient. Plus, you got great shopping at the mall right here. You've got every kind of restaurant you could want, like really nice, fancy restaurants. You want more like quick service type stuff. You have all of that right here in this kind of Dunwoody area there as well. It's a great place to kind of make it not just a football game, but kind of a fun holiday style weekend with great shopping, great restaurants, tons of hotel options. So once you go to this website, it's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation. That's discoveredunwoody.com slash dog nation. Really think about this. If you're coming in for the SEC championship, you know, you don't have to stay downtown. In fact, you might, you might actually have more fun staying right here in Dunwoody, and yet you can use Marta to get very easily to uh, the SEC championship if you want to. So you get a great option for hotels, all kinds of restaurants, lots of shopping there as well. This Dunwoody area where we do our show from each and every day, a great place for you to kind of make your home base, getting ready for the SEC championship coming up in a couple of weeks. That website, one more time, discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation. That is discoveredunwoody.com slash dognation. All right, John, very quickly before we let you go, we certainly appreciate your time. So the thing that I find amazing right now is how much disarray was seemingly introduced back into the college football playoff conversation because of the events of Saturday. You know, Tennessee eliminated as a contender. Uh, you know, Michigan, Ohio State, both a little shaky there at times. TCU keeps right on winning. USC is winning. You're sort of left to wonder, well, is the ACC now kind of back in this thing uh, a bit here on Saturday? There were a lot of really crazy results and all of it kind of happening below Georgia. It's kind of fun to think of yourself being UGA right now, kind of above the fray on this. But this playoff conversation, as wild as I can remember being this late in the season, where I'm not quite so sure with certainty, I can say who's going to make the playoff. The loser of the Michigan-Ohio State game, are they still in it? ACC champ still in it? You know, it's it's really fun to think about how crazy the debate's going to be over the course of the next couple of weeks worth of games, rivalry week, then championship week. It's about to get crazy. Don't you get that sense? Oh, yeah, and, and that's the direction college football has been pointed for quite some time. When we first started looking at college football playoff picture, it was originally intended because it was so hard to identify the top two teams. You know, there, we, we need to give a third and fourth team at least a shot because, you know, it's, during the era, you're going, ah, we kind of snubbed this third pick, and now you're looking at it and going, you know, we have a clear number one, right? Georgia, Georgia is the best team in college football based on what we've seen this far, thus far. And I would argue that, you know, barring a, a slip up by Ohio state, there's a clear top two, um, as you project, but what happened this past Saturday and, and understanding where we're at with the college football playoffs with four teams, man, what a shakeup. And there's that argument for more teams to get involved and, you look back, and it, nobody's looking back, really, but what used to be two teams was pretty pretty easily identifiable. But right now, who, finding that top four, uh, it's, <laughs> it got that much muddier and murkier this past week. Uh, for Georgia, I don't know if uh, a TCU or a USC 
scares you. And um, the way Michigan looked this past Saturday, they wouldn't either. And, uh, you know, every team, you, you look at those weeks and you go, well, if you're looking at the, the Missouri game or Kent State or um, the, the lack of dominance in the Kentucky game for Georgia, but all, all that kind of pales in comparison when you're talking about the way the best teams play in the best games, in the big games. And Georgia continues to show Tennessee is a great example of that when, when it's all on the line. Um, Oregon, first week of the season, Georgia's best performance is far superior to anything that we've seen from any other school out there. So, uh, again, pointing back to the fact that college football now, the, the expectation is uh, so high that you'd never have an off week. Um, that's really hard to accomplish, and it makes for a, a lot of debate this time of year in identifying who the top four teams are. John, great stuff. Thank you so much. I know we're coming up on Thanksgiving. It's a great chance for me to say how thankful I am for your contributions to our show each and every week. I hope you're getting ready for a wonderful time with your family and plenty of good food and good times. And obviously, we got great football to come on the other side of the holiday. But this is a special week for many of us away from football because we love to eat, but also we love to uh, think about all the things we have to be grateful for here around Dog Nation. You are certainly on our list. So thank you very much. Enjoy the uh, day coming up, and we'll look forward to hopefully getting a chance to to hang out in person again here very soon too. Appreciate it, B.A. Always uh, grateful for the Dog Nation at large and being a part of this show and our friendship has it grown it's grown over the years uh, a lot to be thankful for go dogs great stuff john thanks so much let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through yeah let me just say one more thing uh to what john was saying now first of all completely echoing what i you know said to him a moment ago we are so so grateful for guys like that i mean former players that spend time with us on the show here that's always one of those things we're just you know really 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 grateful for and uh john does a great job on that but he's talking about you know, when you think about what Georgia could be facing the playoff, I mean, Georgia was, some people care about point spread, some people don't, but just to kind of give you a little bit of sort of context about ex- expectations, Georgia was a 22.5-point favorite at Kentucky on Saturday. If Georgia played USC in the playoff, there's a chance they may be a 20-point favorite in that game, and they'd be more than a two-touchdown favorite against TCU. Uh, they would be, because TCU's power rated in most, you know, uh, you know by, by most folks, TCU's power rated ahead of USC. Um Georgia would be, as John said, a pretty strong prohibitive favorite against a team like Michigan, for instance. You know, the only real narrow point spread that might exist for Georgia in a college ball playoff game is probably against Ohio State. Georgia would still be favored, but not by a not by a huge total or anything like that. Um, so the point here is is that in terms of what it takes to win a national championship, you're also going to have these games where, you know, from a point spread standpoint, Georgia is thought to be an easy winner. But winning all the games <laughs> that you're supposed to win easily is still not necessarily an easy thing to do that the gauntlet is what's tough it's the week-to-week grind of having to show up and play consistently that's the thing that's the real challenge and as we said before that's the number one nemesis standing standing in georgia's way it's not any one team it's the sum total of all of the teams that georgia has now had to go through for two years on the way to all of this and every single one of those games leaves a little bit of residue that you sort of have to keep playing with the following week and maintaining that consistency just not an easy thing to do. In fact, we'll have more evidence of that here coming up in a moment. Before that, though, how about a chance to go cruise around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean? Now, I have got a short getaway with our friends at Royal Caribbean coming up here really soon, which I'm really, really excited about. I'm going to tell you more about that here coming up. 
it's going to be my chance to be on Wonder of the Seas, and I'm getting a chance to kind of do a kind of a quick getaway with just my wife. You know, this is one of those things where if you've got a family, you sort of understand this. It's like, hey, sometimes it's about the entire family. And in February, our full family is going to be going. My wife, my two kids, uh, we're all going to be going on board one of the seas for a big seven-night sailing, which I'm really excited about. Coming up uh, pretty soon, though, just for a couple of days, uh, my wife and I together, just the two of us are going to be getting away on a Royal Caribbean cruise. And that's one of those fun things you're just glad to be able to do because you got to recharge the batteries. you got to get ready to go for the big go for two and 22 seasons going to be taking place on the other side of all of that. You just want to make sure that you're, uh, you know, kind of ready to go for that. A little bit of a quick getaway certainly helps you with that. And that's what Royal Caribbean is all about. And one of the things I'm really grateful for, you know, living in the Atlanta area where we live, getting a chance to be on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship is actually a pretty easy thing. Well, what we always do is, and there are ports like some people like fly down to Miami and go out of there or like Port Everglades, which is in Fort Lauderdale. In fact, last year for the uh, Orange Bowl, we were actually staying right down the road from uh, the, uh, the, the port right there in Fort Lauderdale. But the point is, is that, you know, there are lots of different places to get on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship. But for me, I always just sort of drive down to Port Canaveral, which is just past Orlando. Uh, my family, we kind of go to Orlando a decent amount anyway. And so Port Canaveral is just sort of right there. And you get on the ship very easy. And that's what we're going to be doing here coming up in a few days, just for a little quick recharge of the batteries. I would encourage you to do the same thing. And I would definitely encourage you to do that coming up this April for the second ever Dog Nation cruise. Our good friend Jessica Slater, great travel agent, has a website specially made for this, royaldogs.com. That's the website, royaldogs.com. You can find out about us being on board Independence of the Seas, leaving April 24th, going to Nassau in the Bahamas, perfect day, Coco Cay, that private island right there in the Bahamas there as well. You can also give Jessica a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She'll tell you all about it, the great stuff that's going to be happening there, special events with Dog Nation, but also the fun to be enjoyed, dining, entertainment, everything else as it relates to independence of the seas you will find out about all of that and i just think you'll think it's remarkable because i know that we certainly do so i can't wait to see you for the second ever cruise with dog nation coming up this april all right let's dive into some of the uh sec through stuff here cruise around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean we had a great time on saturday night watching tennessee get absolutely embarrassed by south carolina absolutely embarrassed and over the course of time i'm wrong about so much and I'm sure many of you could make a laundry list of the things that I've been wrong about, and you could probably add even more to it than that. However, one of the things that I've said over the last couple of years that I think keeps being proven true over and over and over again, you do not want to be one of these pillow soft finesse teams. You just don't. And eventually, maybe Tennessee won't be one of those teams because the truth is, is that Josh Heupel was dealt a pretty tough hand when he first took over as Tennessee coach. He lost a lot of talent, especially on the defensive side. Um, so, so he's been facing a tough issue rebuilding the roster. I don't, I don't mind telling you that he, he's been facing a little bit of an uphill climb, but as it stands right now, the way in which Tennessee's currently built and constructed, uh, they're scoring a bunch of points of a lot of really pretty players, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the pretty looking scores, you know, 50 points here, 60 points here, whatever, 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 whatever. But when it's all said and done, that does not travel on a week to week basis. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. To be a team that's all offense, very little defense, that may look good on the ESPN highlights, and that may get a lot of fans talking. In fact, there have even been some Georgia fans talking about Tennessee. You know, in a lot of ways, Tennessee's been one of the most talked about teams of this season. But when it's all said and done, that is not a recipe for winning a national championship. Now, if you're LSU and you're the best offense of all time, maybe so. But you still got to have, you know, a little bit of a defensive contribution, even on a team like that. But if you're Tennessee and you're all offense, no defense, 
eventually you're going to get yourself in trouble. And now twice this year, they've gotten themselves in trouble. They came into Athens to begin the month of November, and once they kind of found out what it felt like to be playing against a truly physical team, Tennessee, bad grammar, intentional here. They didn't want none. Tennessee did not want none of Georgia that particular day. And that's bad grammar for emphasis. They, 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 they didn't want to be a part of this. They got pushed around, and they did not push back. And they talked themselves into, well, yeah, neutral field, or yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Well, on Saturday, they go on the road to South Carolina. By the way, this is a South Carolina team that was a dead team walking. And honestly, I'd said this a lot going into last week. This was a, a, a Gamecock team that had shown no signs of life in a game against Florida the prior week. And most you know, of you probably didn't have much reason to watch Florida, South Carolina. But if you did pay attention to it, they didn't show anything on either side of the ball. And yet credit to these Gamecock fans, and I will give them credit because uh, it takes a lot to fill your stadium that day, make a bunch of noise, be a factor in the game. Clearly they were. That's a loyal fan base. And I know a lot of you, especially if you live over in like the east part of Georgia, you don't like South Carolina. I do get that. But you've got to give them credit for this. That's a loyal fan base to support that team in that situation. And frankly, I'm going to give Shane Beamer credit here too. Um, you were starting to wonder you know, how much of that first-year magic and there was some of that for Beamer last year. How much of that was kind of carrying over to year two? Well, now when you win a game like this against Tennessee, I think you're left to say a good bit of it is. I think that Beamer's a good dude. I do. And I think that he's doing a good job there with that program. Not easy in the current SEC East to find these wins. And yet he found a very big one against Tennessee there on Saturday. But ultimately for the Vols here, this is just a demonstration that that you know, you may be pretty and you may score some points and you may do this, you may do that, but ultimately you just want a playoff level team because you couldn't maintain the week-to-week consistency required to be able to do that. And you've got to go back to the drawing board the same way that Alabama had to after this past season, the same way that Ohio State did after this past season to say, hey, can we be the best offense in college football and find a way to play enough defense? That's what the offseason overhaul was like for Ohio State. They brought in Jim Knowles as their defensive coordinator. They want to score points, but they also want to be able to limit other teams' ability to score points. Ohio State knew last year against Michigan they just got pushed around too much. And I think privately, whether they'll admit it or not, Alabama knows that when they play Georgia in the national championship, Georgia just pushed them around. If you look at the last two seasons here, Georgia has been a much more consistent team week to week than Alabama has been. And it's the ability to play well on both sides of the ball that has been the reason. Alabama defensively is just not what it once was. And now Tennessee's in that same category of kind of show pony uh, team that doesn't really know how to be a workhorse when it really needs to be. And that, to me, is the story of what Tennessee-Alabama is all about. We're going to make fun of them more with our golden shoes later on, but that's kind of the story for the Vols there on the field. Now, as far as the other part of this, I do hate it for Hendon Hooker, who obviously late in this game, once the uh, outcome was already determined, Hooker uh, towards ACL. And I hate that for him because while ultimately I don't believe the Tennessee style of play this year is a recipe for a national championship, they were fun to watch. And Hooker himself was kind of the – entertaining player at the center of all of this so I think one of the things that makes it fun to be a Georgia fan is the level of competition you face on the way to the success you're having and this year Tennessee was a formidable foe for UG there's no denying that's the case and the presence of Hooker is an example of that when you think about what Hooker you know this is a guy that you know basically was not having the same level of success at Virginia Tech when he first got to Tennessee he didn't even win the job to begin the season last year Um, he's kind of kind of proven over the course of getting a chance in games to show you that he can be this guy. So it's a really good story uh, for the success that Hooker has found, and we think he's going to be a really good football player again. But 
for now dealing with that ACL injury, so you hate that for him. By the way, speaking of Georgia rivals that are worth making fun of here, how about Florida losing to Vanderbilt? And I wish I had the video to show you of this. I don't. But the the Vanderbilt fans storming the field after this game was like the funniest thing I've ever seen. Because the ultimate, ultimately, even from a Vanderbilt fan perspective, Florida's not that good. <laughs> you know, Vanderbilt has won a lot of SEC games, so they're happy to beat anybody. But it's not like Florida's that good. So you only had a smattering of Vanderbilt students and fans even at the stadium anyway. And so when the game was over with, they're just sort of like casually walking down to the field. And if you saw the overhead shot of their like storming the field celebration, it was like about you know, a third of the way full. It, it almost looked like the high school game where like the parents and the cheerleaders and stuff like that all go in the field to kind of like hang out with the players once the game is over with. That's sort of what it looked like. It's like it wasn't a full-on, you know, full field of fans. They still got fined by the SEC for it. But it's not like it's some crazy celebration because, you know, frankly, even for Vanderbilt, Florida's not that much worth celebrating here. But for Billy Napier, you know, you're left to wonder, gosh, what does that mean about his future here in terms of moving into year two with a whole bunch of momentum and like if you go to the Florida message boards like one of the things you see a lot is well you know Kirby Smart he lost to a Vanderbilt in his first season too and that is true I mean it is true like just losing to Vanderbilt alone is not proof that you're not going to be successful eventually obviously for the folks who kind of remembered those struggles of 2016 the thing that allowed Georgia fans to kind of push beyond that and turn the page and expecting better results was the success of the 2017 recruiting class. That was the real first major breakthrough for Kirby and George. They were number three in the country, according to the 24-7 sports uh, composite in the 2017 class. It was the best recruiting class, I believe, that Georgia had ever had up to that point. Kirby's obviously had many since then that were better than that. But at the time, I believe that was the best class that Georgia had ever had. Uh, and pretty quickly, that allowed a lot of Georgia fans to forget what happened in 2016. But... The follow-up to that was Georgia also started winning games on the field. And here's, here's what I'm here to tell you, is that in this current SEC, getting wins on the field is just not that easy. It's just not that easy uh, because Shane Beamer is showing signs of life at South Carolina. At least for a couple more years here, we've got an SEC East that Florida's got to play in. And Beamer shows some signs of life. Florida beat him this year, but... But, you know, Beamer turned around and beat Tennessee. You know, one way or another, Tennessee's going to be a good team again next year. You know, not a playoff team, probably, at least based on where they're currently constructed, but a tough team to beat on a week-in, week-out basis. That's who Florida's competing with. Uh, you know, look at Kentucky. You know, Kentucky beat Florida this year. Kentucky's a tough team. They weren't very good this year, but they're still tough to beat on a weekly basis. So, Florida's going to have some of the same kind of recruiting success, not a top three class, but they're going to have some recruiting wins for this cycle. You know, they've taken Rashada back to quarterback from Miami. They're in play for a pretty big running back that just decommitted from Ohio State. They're going to have some recruiting wins. They got Cromani McLean. Uh, 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 actually, they didn't get McLean. <laughs> McLean went to Miami. Uh, sorry, Florida. I thought I, I, for, he was supposed to go to Florida, but he did. But the point is, is that you know they've had. Um, they're going to have some recruiting wins. You're going to have some of that to sell your fans on. But you got to sell some wins on the field there as well. And the win against Utah Week One suddenly feels like a long time ago. A long time ago. So uh, just something to consider there on that. Not a good day for Florida on the field. And then finally, there's this. So there's been some discussion because of Tennessee's loss and because of the fact that you know Alabama last week was still ranked seventh in the college ball playoff rankings. Could Alabama as a two-loss team still make the college football playoff? Could they become the first two-loss team to make the college football playoff? And 
if you look at like say ESPN's got its playoff predictor model, you know, even I think we talked about this in the show a few days ago that even throughout all of that, you know, the the you know basically losing any chance to win the SEC West, Alabama's overall chances of making the playoff have never dropped below fifteen percent on the playoff predictor model you know that the ESPN uses I don't put much faith and stock into that I really don't um, now if you power rate the very best teams in college football Bama is in the top four uh, if you look at the teams in which you know George would be favored by the least points against the team that would you know be the narrowest underdog to George's Ohio State probably the next team on that list is probably Alabama George would probably only be about a three-point favorite against Alabama so clearly from a power rating standpoint Bama's one of the top four teams in the country but you gotta you got to say the results on field matter for something, and Bama losing twice has to count for something here. And I told you last week that when the playoff rankings came out and you saw where Clemson was, I told you I believe that the committee was showing you that it was reserving the right to still put a one-loss ACC champion Clemson in the college football playoff. And now I feel like that's more true than ever. And I think that by USC winning, they're likely to move up here too. Now they got some tough games coming up, you know, Notre Dame and the Pac-12 title game. So it remains to be seen if USC will keep winning. But if they do keep winning, they're going to be in the college football playoff. And right now, uh, TCU is also winning there as well. Their wins are coming in such a way that makes you wonder, are they really going to keep doing this? But yet week after week, that's exactly what they do. Keep right on doing, including Baylor on Saturday. So here's what it comes down to for me, that a lot of these models, predictive models, give Bama a shot of making the playoff. But as I've told you, I don't put a lot of faith in stock in these predictive models when it comes to the college football playoff because ultimately you're leading to something that's eventually a human decision. In other words, if you tell me the percentage chance that so-and-so makes the NFL playoffs, well, I'll listen to those kinds of things because that's solely based on winning percentage. You know, games you win, games you lose. And I would say that there are some models that can tabulate your chance of winning and losing games here pretty well effectively but when it comes to earning the respect of the committee a group of human beings in a room who make a decision I don't understand how anybody could put a percentage chance on you know these humans in a room doing anything because they're they've kind of shown you from year to year they just sort of do whatever they want so to answer my own question here I don't view Alabama as a viable playoff team maybe they get some chatter on Tuesday night because the committee likes creating you know made for tv type drama but to me, you've got at least three potential one-loss or undefeated Power 5 conference champions, such as USC, such as TCU, such as Clemson, who I think would get consideration over Alabama, whether they're actually better than Alabama or not. And assuming that the the Ohio State-Michigan game is close on Saturday, I believe the loser of that game would only be a one-loss team. I would think they would also get more consideration than two-loss Alabama there as well. So we'll see if this chatter actually erupts even more. But for me, for now... I have to assume that Alabama is going to remain on the outside looking in and will make that cruise and run the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Let me also give a shout-out here to our friends at Peachtree Orthopedics. Listen, a lot of the folks who listen to our show on a regular basis, you're busy, you're active people, you like to play golf, you like to run marathons, you like to you know, do the things that make life worth living, right? But every now and then something goes wrong, and all of a sudden you can't play golf or you can't play pickup basketball or whatever it is that you like to do. Well, when you face one of those situations when you've kind of been knocked out of doing the thing that you love, that's where I want you to step in and get to know our friends at Peachtree Orthopedics. They've been Atlanta's go-to orthopedic practice for 70 years, leading physicians and specialists that can actually work on every single body part you might have, whether it be shoulder, back, knee, you know, neck, whatever it might be. They've got you on all of that, and they've got a process specifically in place for you 
where they're going to listen and understand your problem, explain the options that are available to you to kind of get you back to where you want to be, and then make a plan for your recovery that gets you back to enjoying uh, that quality of life that you're all about there. And they can do it for a better outcome and a lower cost to you than anybody else. That's what our friends at Peachtree Orthopedics are all about. So do a book an appointment on this. Visit PeachtreeOrthopedics.com. PeachtreeOrthopedics.com. Make sure you check them out today. All right, here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of George Alice. We kind of want to get back to the conversation we were having a little earlier as it relates to that fourth down decision for Georgia. Kirby Smart against Kentucky. Uh, he chooses to go for it there up 16-0. Uh, doesn't get it. Kentucky marches down the field and scores. Some people kind of criticize that. I told you earlier that I didn't have a problem with Georgia going for it on fourth down. But I don't necessarily like the rushing play there in that short yardage situation. That's the part of this that I don't really like. However, before I tell you why, let me let you hear Kirby Smart in his own words about why he likes to run the ball down there in that spot, down near the goal line. This once again, Kirby from Saturday. I mean, to get one yard, we should be able to get one yard. I mean, you, you got to go to get those. You know what I mean? We got eight, nine yards a lot of times. We rush for. 300 or how much 250 so getting one shouldn't be the end of the world right uh but we didn't in those situations we got to do better at situational football and uh and we did so i've told you this before that when you look at the red zone issues that georgia's at times had this year and certainly had a lot last year that i do not believe you're going to run your way to glory down there near the goal line i just don't i think it's i think it's easier to stop the run in that situation because you know the safeties don't have to worry about the ball being thrown over their head they're more apt to want to creep towards the line of scrimmage and Somehow, when opposing defenses seem to think they know what Georgia's going to do, it becomes easier to stop that. You know, Kirby Smart right there says, hey, we got to be able to get one yard. We run for 300-something yards in a game. We have great offensive line. We have great running backs. We got to be able to get one yard. And at first glance, it sort of seems like that's true. But for whatever reason, and I'm honestly not smart enough to tell you why this is. I'm not going to be X's and O's and, and, and be able to explain all this to you. I'm just simply here to tell you what has happened. For whatever reason... Georgia in these short yardage situations has almost never been as good as you probably think they would be, even though they've typically been a very good rushing football team overall and typically had a very high level of offensive line play. Let me give you a stat that sort of backs this up. So Football Outsiders is a website that kind of covers both college and pro football from kind of analytics standpoint, and they have one of the stats they track, which they call power success rate. This is what happens when you run the ball on third or fourth and two, so third down, fourth down, with two yards to go for a first down, or what happens when you run the ball near the goal line from that two-yard line and in area. When you have these short-yarded situations for third and fourth down or down to the goal line when you're seeking a touchdown, how successful are you when it comes to running the football there? And this year, Georgia is converting those situations at a 70% clip. But 70% on that is actually good enough for just 58th best in the country. So as Kirby says, hey, we got to be able to get a yard. And yet, for whatever reason, even though Georgia has an offensive line that's a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award, and Georgia has a history of being a very good rushing team, in a short yardage situation, Georgia's actually not really exceeding any better than 58th best in the country in converting those short yardage scenarios. And you may want to step up and say, well, that just proves you that Stacey Sarles is not getting it done compared to what previous Georgia offensive line coaches have been able to do. But here's where things kind of get weird. Now, in every year I'm about to go back through, 
we would all say that Georgia has at least had a very good running game. And in some of these years, they've had excellent rushing attack and excellent offensive lines there as well. And yet on these short yardage situations, they have not thrived. This is third and two, fourth and two, or plays from the two yard and in from the uh, goal line. You know, those short yardage running situations. I told you. Just 58th best in the country this year, converting on those instances 70% of the time. Last year, in a national championship year, in a national championship year, Georgia converted those short yardage rushing situations at just a 72.4% clip. That was 52nd best in the country. In the year in which they won the national championship, they still weren't dominating in those short yardage running situations. Now, it's also fair to point out that when there's 131 teams playing you know, FBS level football, or there were 130 last year, that you can tolerate being in kind of that upper third in a couple of instances here. You can tolerate being, you know, 50 best, whatever, in a couple of instances. It's not necessarily horrendous to be 52nd best at something when there's so many different categories that you measure football team by. But I'm pointing out here that while you think, yeah, Georgia ought to be able to line it up and get a yard anytime it wants to. Well, historically speaking, they haven't really hardly done it much better than the top 50 in the country. In fact, go back to 2020 for a moment. Georgia was 72.7% on converting power success rate. Third and fourth down short running situations, goal line short running situations, just 47th best there. Now you say, well, when Sam Pittman was here, we got this done. When Pittman was here, you better believe we can line up and get one or two yards. Go back to Pittman's last year at Georgia. In 2019, Georgia converted third and two, fourth and two and in, or goal line two yard and in 75% of the time. That was good enough for just 41st best in the country in Pittman's last year of 29. So that's four years of evidence here. Georgia not being any better than 41st best at power rushing success in any of those years and just 58th best right now, 52nd best in a national championship a year ago. Now, I don't necessarily know why that is. I'm just here to tell you what is. And when it comes to rushing the ball in short yardage situations, Georgia just somehow seemingly becomes a little easier to stop. The only thing I can presume is, is that the defense just knows what's coming. And for any defense, if they think they know what's coming, their chances of stopping that just get to be a, a little easier. You've heard this said in Major League Baseball. That even these pitchers who are throwing 100 miles an hour, if you're a Major League level hitter, eventually you can time a freight train. In other words, if you know a fastball is coming, eventually you can you know get the bat speed up to where it needs to be to make contact with it. Well, maybe these defenses are the same way. It's very hard to stop Georgia when you don't know what they're going to do, but if you know the rushing play is coming, well, you can just throw a bunch of folks at the, at the line of scrimmage there and eventually just simply have more bodies than Georgia can block, and maybe that's at times what's happened here. So that's my only point here is to say that it's not as simple, unfortunately, as, uh, hey, we got to be able to line up and get a yard. We got several years worth of data here that when it comes to trying to line up in a short yard situation, Georgia becomes worse offensively than they are in other scenarios when the defense is not really quite so sure exactly what Georgia's going to do, especially over the course of the last couple of seasons. Now, when it comes to the actual Kentucky game in and of itself, it doesn't probably matter all that much. Uh, and as John Stinchcomb pointed out, you may have had reasons for wanting to go for it there in that spot that have nothing to do with uh, that game in particular. You may be trying to sort of win over your locker room as you get ready for the upcoming college football playoff or the SEC championship. But I think that's all fine and well. But my only point to bring up here is it's not as simple as to say, well, you ought to be able to line up and get a yard. We've got a lot of years worth of data here that sort of suggest that when it comes to a short yardage situation, Georgia actually hasn't been quite as successful as you think they might would have been. Hey, one more thing before we uh, sign off here today. 
Uh, I told you about being at Marlowe's next Wednesday. That's going to be a great time. Can't wait for that. But also, this is that really fun time of year when Marlowe's has some great stuff going on for you. And we've kind of told you about this now for a good number of years. I just love this. I think it's such a great deal and such a great way for you to get something for yourself, but also get something for people in your life that you want to give some holiday uh, gifts to. Well, how about this from our friends at Marlowe's? Back once again, when you buy a $50 Marlowe's uh, Tavern gift card, you're going to get as a special thank you to you a bottle of Michelle Brute sparkling wine. We've told you this all throughout the years, and I think this is a really good giveaway. So it's a great add-on to go with the gift card purchase that you're making. And when you buy a $100 Marlowe's Tavern gift card, you get the Michelle Brute sparkling wine, but you also get a bonus $20 Marlowe's Tavern gift card there as well. So you can maybe keep that for yourself or give it to somebody else. But for $50, you get the Michelle Brute sparkling wine. When you buy the $100 gift card, you get the Michelle Brute Sparkling Wine plus a bonus $20 gift card there as well. So it's a wonderful way to take care of the people you have on your holiday shopping list. Not everybody's easy to buy for, but trust me when I tell you, everybody loves the great taste of the chef-inspired food and the delicious craft cocktails at a place like Marlowe's Tavern. So make sure you check them out today. You can find them online, marlowstavern.com for a lot more on that. marlowstavern.com for a lot more on that. So this is one of our longest shows yet. Didn't necessarily intend for it to turn out that way, but I guess that's where it is. Uh, nonetheless, we're going to make it a little bit longer by giving you a, a good number of golden shoes here today there as well. And we've got so many good ones coming up here over the course of the next few days that we'll kind of run our way through and share with you. All of them really, really good here, including our buddy Mad Dog, who may have given you his best one ever here with his graphic here. Sweep the East. He's got go for two and 22. You've got the uh, Lego figure there with the Georgia hat on, sweeping away the uh, dust that is the SECs and the rest of the SEC there as well. Mad Dog saying it wasn't pretty, but the dogs swept their division two years in a row. Hashtag on the East. Hashtag go for two and 22. Mad Dog, that is well done and well said. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, also, our buddy Chris checking in, Go Dogs 8419. Jeff Centel and I going up to Lexington this week in the bitter cold. He says, This is how I imagine y'all traveling. And it's a scene from Planes, Trains, and Automobiles with the late, great John Candy and Steve Martin. And that's about it, Chris. Yeah, that's that's about what we look like. And I guess that would make me the John Candy in that particular situation. Also, Simone Cartwell checks in to say, this is a great day to be shouting this out. He says, getting to work around the University of Georgia campus. And I saw Pella Window and Door Truck right there. He says, one of Dog Nation Daily's great sponsors. You better believe it is. We love seeing the Pella Window and Door Trucks out there taking care of business and doing good stuff. Simone, thanks for sharing that with us. That's great to see. And we appreciate Pella window and door of Georgia support of our program here today there as well. So, by the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators that we mentioned a little earlier, tough time for them against Vanderbilt on Saturday, and they've got even more tough times ahead, including back in Jacksonville, 341 days from now. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. We will see all of you tomorrow right here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Go for two and 22, everybody. We'll talk to you then.